Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. Amen. How you doing? So next Sunday, Senior Sunday. So everybody that's over 65 gets a discount. Uh, you only have to tithe 8% next Sunday. And uh, <laughs> I just, you just, you know, when you're a senior, you know, you think about those things. So uh, gospel culture. We do have a couple, before I start that, we have two new members. Janet James. Janet's right there. Janet, wave at everybody. Glad to have Janet. It's John Stone. There's John back there. Hello, everybody, John. Glad to have you guys in the family. So we've, we're in this uh, series about gospel culture, uh, loving God in, uh, in the world. How do we do that? How do we live this uh, in this, what's becoming a more adversarial culture? So, so today I'm going to call this uh, Loving God and Living in Babylon. Because we're kind of living in Babylon now. We're strangers and aliens in a, in a foreign land. We're looking for a city that's builder and maker is God. We're looking to the future. Uh, so in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, we hear about how, you know, you read the stories in Daniel about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and you read stories about uh, Daniel in the lion's den. So how did Daniel, who was, you know, an Israelite, how did he end up being in Babylon. So this tells the way it happened. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So this was, this was a prophecy that Jeremiah had given and others had given that if they didn't repent, uh, really, it was really too late to repent because they had failed to repent that God was going to punish Israel for their rebellion against God. And so this is that punishment. So he sends uh, Nebuchadnezzar to come and carry them off into captivity. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, another way to say Babylon, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God, probably Marduk, then the king ordered Esphenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom and endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability of serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, and that's how Daniel ended up in Babylon. And chances are your workplace in the last couple of years has become increasingly post-Christian. Maybe your HR department is now encouraging employees to customize their gender pronouns. Uh, talk of religion is discouraged we talked to you, I think I told you a couple of weeks ago, we had two elementary age kids that got in trouble 
for talking about God with other students at school. Used to be encouraged. Now you get in trouble for doing it. And certainly at your workplace. Maybe your employer is one of those who's making headlines for their support of either pro-choice causes or trans causes. So, you know, in the, in the face of this, it, it, it may seem like a reasonable thing. Maybe you should quit your job and maybe uh, find a new role in a ministry somewhere. Maybe work for some, some ministry that supports the church. Or maybe you could uh, go to work for the church or go to work for a church. Uh, or possibly, at the very least, maybe go to work for a, a business led by a fellow Christian would be better. A workplace that's more aligned with your values. And God could be calling you to do that. God could be calling you to leave your workplace, but I doubt it. I doubt it because I think God calls us to dark places. And that Jesus himself worked in a dark place. I mean, Jesus even coming to earth was coming to a dark place. His whole mission was to a dark place. But in Hebrews chapter 13, 12, it says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Jesus died on Golgotha, outside of the gates of Jerusalem. So let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Jesus suffered outside the city gate of Jerusalem, behind its walls. But theologians say that this also had another meaning, that uh, that it was perfectly within God's power, and God certainly has the power to put Jesus anywhere he wanted him, for him to serve inside the gate, even in the temple, even in the holy place. But instead, he chose for Jesus to spend the majority of his life working outside of the gate as a carpenter, where he undoubtedly suffered more blood, sweat, tears, and temptation than the average priest working in the temple. Commenting on this passage, one group of theologians say that to follow Christ fully is to follow him to the places where his saving help is desperately needed but not necessarily welcomed. So Jesus is the first reason to stay in your increasingly post-Christian workplace. We're following Jesus there. Secondly, Jesus calls us into dark places In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is crying out to the Father, in a sense, his final prayer for us in John chapter 15, and this is what he says. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So Jesus here is reiterating what we've talked about a few weeks ago, what Jesus said On the Sermon of the Mount, let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Nobody sees light shining in an already bright room. If the room's already bright, it's not evident. Light can only shine in dark places. So that's why Jesus calls us to work and live among the lost. So we're going to talk about what does it mean to, here's a couple of principles then how are we going to do it? How are we going to live among lost people, live in the world, live in Babylon that's increasingly getting darker and darker? So principle number one is a Christian's default position 
should be to rush into dark places, workplaces, not retreat from them. You know, dark places like maybe where you work, <laughs> politics, we need Christians in the political realm, uh, we need Christians in school boards, uh, we need Christian policemen, police people, what are they, police officers. <laughs> Uh, we need Christians in music and film production. I'm, I've really been encouraged. I, I, you know, I, I may have said this to you, but if you haven't seen The Chosen, you ought to watch it. It's pretty good. And uh, I, I just watched Jesus Revolution, and it was really done well. I spent most of my adult Christian life uh, cringing at most Christian-produced stuff. It was a little too cheap. They pushed a little hard on the message and not on the production values of the actual <laughs> said movie. And I would think, uh -huh. you know, yeah, the message was good, but, oh, man. You, I mean, the audience is Christians. Cause, but I, this is what I love about The Chosen is that it's so well done, so well written, and it's easy to watch. Same thing is true. Watch the Jesus Revolution movie. Very good. I encourage you you watch it and see it. Some of you don't need to see it. You lived it, so, you know. Uh, you know, virtually every job, finance. We need people in finance. We, we, higher education. Higher education is like, is like the den of darkness. We, we need uh, Christians that can work in higher education. Virtually every job today, is, it's a place. It's the world. We're living in Babylon, and so God's called us. Anywhere people are hurting, like we have people who are serving at, at Thrive, which is a ministry to uh, women who have, are pregnant and are trying to make choices about what they're going to do with that baby. Uh, Our Calling, which is a ministry to the homeless in Dallas County. Uh, there's just a lot of places that we need to be. Uh, C.T. Studd, who was in the past century uh, a Cambridge cricket player that became a missionary said this, someone will live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. But if we stay, so if we're going to stay in the world, we need help. Uh, sorry, my, it's not my bra strap. It's my, my mic has done something weird. Sorry. I know that makes good camera right there. Uh, <laughs> Look, the preacher's got a demon. Uh, <laughs> but if we stay, we're going to need help in maintaining a distinctive Christianity. So principle number two, uh, Christians aren't called to isolate from unbelievers. That's the temptation. But we are called to insulate ourselves through God's word and Christian community. So we need the word of God. Jesus said in John 17, again, praying for us, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We insulate ourselves with the study of God's word so that we understand who we are in Christ, who God is, what God's word says. If we consistently will study God's word, we have the weapons we need to stand against this unbelievable bombardment of lies that we have coming against us. Never in history did you carry around in your pocket 
a device that was going to tell you lies all day long. I mean, it's difficult to get the truth. It's easy to get opinion, but it's difficult to get the truth. So you need to know what the Word of God says. The Word of God prepares us. It helps us insulate ourselves. We don't want to isolate ourselves, but we need to know where we stand. And you need to know who you are in Christ. And you need to be secure in who you are in Christ. Uh, we also insulate ourselves through community. God calls us into his, to be his people. John 17, 21, he says that they may be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one, may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I mean, our unity is so important that God wants us to be in community. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, so as you, as you feel like as you get towards the end times. Does it feel like end times? I mean, do you think we're nearer to the end times than we were? I mean, it just logically makes sense that we're closer to the end than we've ever been, right? So if, if we're closer to the end than we've ever been, then we should work at having community. And, and you know, we've... We will, we'll really eventually have great community when we have a lot of per persecution. You know, uh, there's probably 25,000 churches in Dallas County. If we get persecuted, there'll just be one. It'll be the church of Jesus Christ. It won't be every name on the corner. It'll just be those who follow Christ. So we need community, and you, we insulate ourselves through community, and you might even need, so you need, you need the body of Christ, but if you're a believer in a particular profession, if there are other Christians in that job, you might need other Christians to help you. Let's say if you're a policeman and there's, there's other Christian policemen, or you're a teacher and there's other Christian teachers, or because every job has some specific things. Let's say, because some jobs are tough. There, there are challenges to be Christians in those jobs. I mean, some jobs, it's a challenge. I mean, sales is a difficult place because in sales, you're very tempted to lie. I mean, I don't want to pick on car salesmen. Did you ever go and buy a car and felt like you may have been lied to a little bit? To try to get, no, I'm not, if you're a car salesman, I'm sorry. Uh, stop lying. Uh, <laughs> all of us should stop. Isn't that true? We need to, all of us stop lying, so. But, I mean, it's in so many areas, but you might need somebody to, to help you, you know, navigate eth ethical things because in sales, we're often tempted because our livelihood's based on it to maybe fudge the numbers a little bit. I mean, like, we've never, I've never bought a copier that will do what the salesman told, tells us it'll do when he's selling it to us. Because when the, when the, when, I mean, it's like, it, it's going to fly around the room and deliver the papers to the different, you know, but then you get in, it's like, it's like ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. It's not doing anything special. And the quality's not that great, but it was great in the showroom. So, you know, just we want to have ethics. We want to have honesty. And we do that through community. We, by building fellowship and having community with one another. Third principle, we're called to live such good lives that non-Christians have nothing credible to say against us. This is a challenge. 1 Peter 2.11, beloved, I urge you as aliens, 
Have you ever wondered if the Bible talked about aliens? Yes, it does. <clears throat> but that's not what it means. It's aliens and strangers <laughs> to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So like you and me, Daniel worked in exile, and especially as an official inside the Babylonian government, he modeled this goodness to such a degree, like Peter's describing, uh, that it set him apart. So we, that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to have such excellence, it sets us apart. He had vocational excellence. Daniel 6.3 tells us that Daniel so, distingu so distinguished himself among his peers that Darius, the king, was going to put him over all of Babylon, so that made everyone else jealous. But he was a master of his craft. He was great at his job. Are you giving your best? at your job because we give our best not because of the job we give our best not because of the money we give our best to glorify God so are we giving our best I once had an employee who I was questioning about why he was doing such a lousy job and he said because he wasn't being paid enough So, we don't work for money. We work for the Lord. The money is a, is, a, is a bonus that we get. So, he was excellent in his job. The second thing is he had personal integrity. So, when Daniel's co-workers heard that the boss was planning to promote Daniel, they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel, but they were unable to do so. They couldn't find any corruption in him because he was trustworthy. Are you always truthful? Never lying to put yourself in a better light. That's why we mostly lie, you know. We mostly lie so the, we look better than we are. Would your coworkers point to the way you talk about others behind their backs? Do you drink too much? When you're out with colleagues, are you a bit too friendly with coworkers of the opposite sex? There should be no area where we can be charged as being unethical or above reproach. Daniel was above reproach. Sure did get quiet in that section. I'm not sure why. So, third dimension of Daniel's goodness was his submission to authorities. So Daniel uh, submitted to authority, uh, even authorities who hated his God. So after searching for corruption in Daniel, and they could find no act of disobedience, finally he said, no, the only way we're going to catch this guy is if we catch him doing something against the law of his God. So principle four is this, Christians are called to disobey directives that contradict God's word in a distinctly God-honoring way. So as you're living in Babylon and you're called to do Babylonish things, then we have to do it in a way that honors God. Uh, even when we refuse to obey earthly authority, 
we need to do it in ways that glorify God. First, we need to dis- disobey respectfully. When Daniel was asked to eat defiled food from the king's table, he didn't say no to his boss. He asked the chief official for permission to abstain. Daniel 1.8 says, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food. Why? Well, because it's likely that it was food that was offered to idols. It was also likely food that was, in Daniel's mind, being a good Jewish boy, was unclean food, food that he would not eat. And having, since it was already prepared, he would know all of the ingredients that were in it, whether it could have, you know, whether it would have been right to eat it. So instead, uh, he just wanted to eat in a God-honoring way. He said no to the boss, but he, he asked for, permit, for permission. But Daniel made up his mind he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself so, so by asking respectfully, you, can you see that in this situation that it would have been easy to be belligerent and make it a conflict, but yet he's doing it and he, he's, he's made a decision, he's being courageous, but he's doing it very respectfully. So we need to be respectful. Secondly, he, he disobeyed constructively. He was creative. So he said, hey, listen, how about this? Please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. So instead of the king's, you know, all this rich food, just, you know, vegetables and water. We don't don't, have to worry about the king's wine, the king's stuff, just vegetables and water. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So Daniel offered up this creative alternative to the king's table. He was, he was, he had, you know, he had, you might say, hey, hey, I've got an idea. Listen, I'm not going to, what if, what if, what if we do a test, a sales test, and I'm not going to lie about the performance of this product. I'm going to tell the truth and we'll see who sells the most. I, I want to I have integrity. I want to walk in integrity. So there'll be challenges. And so Daniel was just creative with, how, with his idea. I'm, you know, put us to the test. See who looks best after 10 days. And so they, they look better. Third, he disobeyed courageously. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow to Nebuchadnezzar's image. Nebuchadnezzar set up a 90-foot image, and then commanded everybody in the land to bow down to it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down. And the Chaldeans, who were always upset with Daniel and children of Israel, reported it to HR. And before you know it, they're standing before Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebi says, you need to bow down or I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer concerning this matter. 
If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were amazingly courageous. But one of the things that I noticed is that there were a lot of other Israelites, even Daniel. It's like, where's Daniel in this story? Belteshazzar was Daniel's name. Now, Daniel had just had this major prophecy about a statue that he had interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar. So maybe Nebuchadnezzar has given him an automatic buy because he recognized that Nebuchadnezzar, that Daniel served the one true God. So maybe he gave him a buy. But there were other children of Israel living in the land that, that must have bowed down when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down. Think about that, right? There weren't just four Israelites in Babylon. So they carried off the choice. So there were others that didn't bow down. It's interesting to me that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't say, hey, hey, everybody, let's don't bow down. Right? It just makes me think that sometimes you got to take care of your own business and not try to get everybody else to do what they ought to do. Sometimes the challenge is that we, we can see clearly what other people should do, but not quite as clearly what we ought to do. Jesus said it was this. He said, don't worry about getting the beam out of your own eye or the speck out of your brother's eye until you get the beam out of your own eye. He said, you know, don't, don't be worried about what's, the little problem they have, worry about the big problem you have. Sometimes that's a problem for us is that we can see what everybody else ought to do. And a lot of times we're trying to, hey, y'all ought to and you should. And really it's just what if, what if we, what if we did? What if we did what we're supposed to do? If we did what God's calling us to do. Because not, not everybody has the same level of faith all the time. Not everybody's at the same place. So you... You need to do what God's calling you to do. Your conviction. What's your conviction? Where are you standing on the word of God? But they, I love this. They said, but even if. So they say, we believe God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. Do you have a but even if mentality? We all have things we want to see happen. But what if God doesn't answer the prayer the way you have asked him to answer it? If he doesn't come through the way you expect him to come through, even if that happens, will you still stand strong in Christ? They said, we're not going to bow down. You see, we only disobey like this at this level when they tell us to disobey God's word. Romans 13, 1, Paul wrote this. Paul wrote this not very long before he was killed by Nero, the Roman authority. 
Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So Paul pretty much goes through this long section of Romans where he's talking about you need to obey government authorities. If not, it's going to just cause you a lot of trouble. But he didn't always disobey the government authorities because he was continued to be a follower of Christ. But when they tell us to stand against our faith in Christ, that's when we have to say, I can't do that. Look in Acts chapter 5, verse 28. Now, the apostles had all preached on the day of Pentecost. They'd been thrown in prison. <clears throat> and uh, they got thrown in prison again. And Acts chapter 5 says, so they were saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue in teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us but Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than man. We must obey God rather than man. So there are, there's, there's times when we would stand and say, you know, I, I can't do this thing because I'm going to resist authority because I've got to do what's true. I've got to do what's right. I've, I've got to do what's Christ-honoring. I, I can't not do this because, because it, it's, it violates your law. You see, one, this is how they singled out Christians. And I've told you this, but when they went to do business, any kind of business that they had to do with the government, they would say, now just take a pinch of this incense here and throw it on the fire. And say, Caesar is Lord. It's a little thing, isn't it? That's a little thing. That's a little thing. Just take a little bit of this incense here. Doesn't hurt anybody. Doesn't hurt anything. Just say that Caesar is Lord. And the Christians, their conviction was, we can't do that. Because Jesus is Lord. There's not two Lords. Jesus is Lord. And so, by that conviction, they would pay the price often of their life by their declaration of faith they would maybe have their property seized maybe maybe lose their jobs or maybe lose their life so here's the thing we need, we need courage today we need the courage to stand in an increasingly antagonistic culture but not obnoxiously, not angrily, but in such a way that people see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, that it calls to say, look, there's, they say, there's something different about them in a good way. There, there's something unique about them. There's, there's something about Christ about them that it, it, it causes people to glorify God. And the second question I'd ask, are there some things that maybe you need to lay aside that are hurting your witness for Christ? Or are there some things that they might say at work, the things you say, the things you watch, the jokes you tell, 
attitude you have, they wouldn't be able to recognize that you're a follower of Christ. That's our call. Our call to live in Babylon is to live such good lives that people see it and glorify God. That's the call. That's the call. You see, your works don't get you into heaven. It's You're saved by the grace of God. But you are saved for good works. God called you on purpose. He's got a place for you. And the place where you're at, he wants to use you. The job that you're at right now, stinky as it may be, dark as it may be, God's called you to that place. And he wants to use you there for his glory. Amen? All right, let's stand and sing this song. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.